is it important that we do our part to get Easter to every home? Why should any home even care about Easter? Well, David Platt answered recently a very similar question. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase his answer because I, I feel like it's helpful in us seeking an answer to the question, why should any home even care about Easter? So here's Platt's paraphrase. It goes something like this. Uh, religion is looked at as a matter of preference today. Uh, folks say all religions are basically fundamentally the same. They just have some superficial differences, folks say. Uh, you just choose what's right for you. You just choose what's best for you. Uh, but then what, what do we do with truth? In that scenario, truth is totally ignored. People say, well, truth is uh, subjective. Right? It's a matter of preference, or a matter of feeling. What is true for you may not be true for me and vice versa, but come on, come on, come on, come on. Do we really believe that? We may say that, but do we really believe that? You don't want to go to the bank, say, I'd like to withdraw some money from my account, and have the teller then look at you and tell you, well, I just don't feel like you have any money in your account. Well, okay, you can feel that way, but it really doesn't matter what you feel. I know I have money in my account. I'd like to make a withdrawal. You don't want the teller to turn around and tell you, that may be true for you that you have money in your account, but that's not true for me that you have money in your account. That may be your truth, but it's not my truth. See, it really doesn't matter what anybody feels or says. This is an issue of truth. Either there's money in there or there's money not in there. So what does this have to do with Easter? Well, just like there's either money in the vault or there's not any money in the vault, Jesus is either still in the vault or he's not in the vault. This isn't, this isn't an issue of if you feel like it or not. This is based on truth. Is he in there or is he not in there? Did he rise from the dead? He either did or he did not. And the true answer to that question, it affects every home. For example, for believers, if, if it's not true, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you understand that means we built our entire lives on a lie, right? And the Bible even says that unbelievers are to pity believers if indeed Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But if he did rise from the dead, think about that. How you respond determines what happens when you die, either heaven or hell. I felt like that's a helpful paraphrase. And it just further underscores the fact that we must get Easter to every home. We, we must make it hard to go to hell from any home. And 1 Peter helps us with that. I want you to see how 1 Peter helps us make it hard to go to hell from any home and how 1 Peter helps us get Easter to every home. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to read these three verses and then we're going to spend some time enjoying this text together. We're going to uh, jump off in it together. So we're going to have some fun with that. I'm looking forward, I've been looking forward to this all week long. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be here. Are you excited to be here? Are you excited to be with us online? Man, I'm pumped up. I'm fired up and ready. So here we go. 1 Peter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll unpack it. So here we go. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I'm sure it'll be on the screen momentarily. Here we go. Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, 
Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh God, thank You on this Easter Sunday. Thank You for revealing to us the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for giving us the faith to believe this truth. Thank you for allowing us to share this truth with those you put in our path. And today, we pray that this hope that we have in Christ, for those of us who have it, that this our hope will be contagious today. And those that are worshiping with us today, and they've not taken that step, they would say, I want that hope to be my hope. And we pray that our hope, this living hope, would become their hope today. God, we thank you for the gospel, the good news. Holy Spirit, would you teach us from this text? Would you let this text talk to us today? Give us the, the, the boldness. Uh, give us understanding. Give us uh, encouragement today, convict us today, challenge us today as we're shaped and molded more in the person of your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said. So here we go. Here's our takeaway. It's pretty simple. Our hope rests in Jesus resurrected. That's the kind of the umbrella of truth over these three verses I want to focus on. Our hope. Talk about hope today. Our hope rests. It is founded. It is firm. It is stable. It rests in Jesus resurrected. That's where our hope lies. It lies in the fact that Jesus lives. That's our hope. It rests in Jesus resurrected. So why are we so passionate about getting Easter to every home? Well, here's why. We want our hope to become your hope. We want this biblical, confident assurance to become yours. We don't want to hog all the hope. We don't want to be hope hoggers. We want you to have the hope. We want to share it with you. There's more to go around, and so we want you to embrace this hope. So we're going to talk about hope. I'm just, I want to ask you to consider with us hope, biblical hope. I just, just consider it, just for a few minutes. Just consider it. Four aspects of this hope I want us to consider. First of all, ours is a linking hope. It links us together. We are linked together. Two words, twice here in these three verses, the word according is used. According. When I hear that, I think of a cord. I think of a cord that links us together. And so our hope, first of all, is a linking hope. Okay? Uh, and, and I want to show you how Peter presents this to us. He begins by introducing himself, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's a greeting that you'll find in all New Testament letters. Most of all of them uh, is the writer introduce himself, Peter. Uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, to be an apostle, one of the requirements to be an apostle, you had to see Jesus' resurrected body. You had to see Jesus in his resurrected state. And Peter saw Jesus resurrected more than once. 
And he writes like somebody who has come face to face with Jesus in his resurrected state. Peter writes as someone who's, who's, uh, whose pen name was The Rock, doesn't he? I mean, he's not pulling any punches. He flat is writing. In much of his writing, what screams from the pages is our belief in the fact that heaven is our home gives us hope on earth. Our belief in the fact that heaven is our home gives us hope on earth. And that screams out of 1 Peter. Because of who he's writing to. Notice who he's writing to. To those who are elect exiles. So who's he writing to? Elect exiles, look at this, of the dispersion. So here's who he's writing to. He's writing to men, women, boys, and girls who are converts. When the church in Acts exploded... And the gospel went to uh, Cappadocia and Asia and Pontus and Galatia. When, when, it, when it just spread, the gospel was planted. Churches were planted. People were saved. And those people that were saved, that's who he's writing to. The new converts. The converts all over. They're far from Peter. They're far from each other. But they're linked together. They're not next to Peter. They're not next to each other. But they're linked together. Their, their hope is a linking hope. They're elect exiles. That's what links them. Number one, they're elect. That means uh, they are chosen of God. They belong to God. Now, does God choose us? Yes. Do we choose God? Yes. Yes and yes. We belong to Him. This word elect is referring to the church. It's referring to those who have been born again. It's referring to the saints. It's referring to followers of Christ. It's referring to the body of Christ, the family of God, the elect. And then there's an interesting, interesting combination here, elect exiles. That doesn't sound like a fun word. I mean, do you want to be exiled? I mean, that doesn't seem like a fun word. It, 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 the word means stranger or sojourner or alien, someone who doesn't belong here. Hey, church, in Christ, we don't belong here. Yes, we're in the world, but we're not of it. Yes, we're here to do the work of ministry that God has called us to, but this is not our home. This is not our home. Do you understand our home in heaven? Do you understand that nothing impure will ever enter it? See, we, we, just, don't, we just don't get it. Man, we, we just don't get it. We can't even fathom. What nothing impure will ever enter it even means. No impure thought. No viruses. No death. No separation. No sin. No sickness. That's our home. Hey, here we're just passing through. But that's our home. So we're elect exiles. We're, we're strangers in a strange land. We're wanderers in this world. We're exiles on earth. Yes, yes, yes. We don't belong here. Our home, we have a citizenship that is not of this world. Think of it as, as, as campers in this creation. That's what we're doing. My family this week, we're camping. Hey, church, we, we don't camp. That's not what we do. The Greers don't camp. But this week we're camping. So there's a contest going around the church. 
How many times will the Greers have to go back to the house to get something they forgot while camping or just to go back to the house for whatever reason? I'm sure you can get in on it if you want. Now, we're camping about, it's a couple miles from the house, so I don't know if it's really all that roughing it too much. And we're, we rented a camper for somebody, so it's, but we don't camp. Do you understand that? We just, we don't. But we know some folks there that are experienced campers. They camp. So we have a link. We're not just out there all by ourselves. We're linked with other folks who know how to camp. See, that's much like the church. Some of us are in different places in, in, in the spectrum of spiritual maturity in the church. Some of us are newborn believers. Some of us have, have, have been a believer for several years and we've grown in our faith. Some of us have, have matured quite a bit in our faith. So we're in different spectrums. But we're still linked we're linked together. We come from crazy different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Uh, but we're linked together. How? Peter tells us. Look at this. This is how we're linked. Uh, according, there's that word again in verse 2. We're linked according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Uh, this means that God has chosen for himself to offer the free gift of salvation for whosoever believes. And God determined that way before the foundation of the world. Jesus dying on the cross was not a, a last-ditch effort to try to save us. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't on accident. This was something God foreordained before the foundation of the world. The foreknowledge. What is it referring to foreknowledge? Salvation. The, the gift of salvation that God makes available free to anyone who so believes. Anyone. This is how we're linked. It's centered here around our salvation. Here's what God's saying. God is saying that God has his people in Asia, God has his people. In America, God has his people. In Hamilton County, God has his people. In New York, God has his people. On the East Coast, West Coast, God has his people. North and South, God has his people. Uh, out West, God has his people. In Europe, God has his people. In Galatia, Cappadocia, God has his people. This is what God is saying. God the Father. You know, it's been said this way. In the Old Testament, God the Father was rejected. In the New Testament, God the Son was rejected. And today, God the Holy Spirit is rejected. We don't need to reject any person of the Trinity. They link us together. Three in one. Three persons, one God. They link us together. And they're listed right here. I mean, Peter lays it out. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit. That word for sanctification means to set apart for a holy purpose. God has set you apart in Christ for a purpose that is holy. Okay? Think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our empowerment. He is the source of our growth. The Holy Spirit begins to, begins to draw you when you're lost. When you're far from God, the Holy Spirit begins to work on you. And He begins to draw you toward Christ and draw you toward the cross. And for those who will repent and believe, 
He doesn't stop then. The Holy Spirit now sanctifies. You grow up in the faith. And so the Holy Spirit begins to work on a believer when they're lost. And he doesn't stop working on that believer until they go to glory. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is working to grow us spiritually. And hear me very carefully. You will never grow in your faith. You will never grow in your faith apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, this is a daily thing you have to do, believer. You have to be filled daily. Because once you're saved, you receive all of the Holy Spirit in that moment. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit upon salvation. You get all of it. When you're, the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have. The question is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have. Because every day you have to be filled. Now in order for you to be filled, you've got to be empty. Right? You can't be filled if you're already full. You have to empty yourself. Well, how do I empty myself? You empty yourself by confessing your sin. You confess sin and you empty yourself of all that sin so then you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've learned something about camping. We're renting a camper for, from someone and there's a chore that has to be done periodically. It's an emptying chore. You have to empty something. That doesn't sound fun, nor do I, I bet it's not very fun to empty that, right? Confessing sin is not fun. It's not fun emptying ourselves. I'm not telling you you're going to have fun. It's not fun. But if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to be emptied of your sin. It, It has to happen. The sanctification of the Holy Spirit. This is the, this is the process of that. But we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I know He is the source of spiritual gifts, and we're scared of those spiritual gifts, but you need not be. He's also the source of spiritual growth, and in order for us to be filled, we have to be emptied. So don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've heard it said this way, though He was only here for 33 years. We know much about Jesus, and we know Jesus much. But he was only here for 33 years. As we should know him much and as we should know much about him. But the Holy Spirit's been here 2,000 years and we know so little about him. And we know him so little. And yet he's been here for 2,000 plus years. He's still here. Don't miss out. Don't be afraid of him. Be filled by him. The Holy Spirit. And here's here's the third. Here's here's, here's the, the, the second person of the Trinity listed third here according to Peter, for obedience to Jesus Christ. It's another link. Obedience to Jesus Christ. That is a synonym for saving faith. You can write that down. A synonym for saving faith is obedience to Jesus Christ. Your first act of obedience to Jesus is to believe in and on Him. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit regenerates you and you're saved. So that's the first step of obedience, believing in and on Jesus. So this is a synonym for saving faith. What Peter is addressing is salvation. The process of being born again. That's, the whole, that's, that's what he's dealing with here. And so he says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. All right, let's think about that. Sprinkling with his blood. First step is believing. But then you have to apply the blood to you. You have to apply the blood of Jesus to you. You have to apply the blood of Jesus that was shed for sin and apply that to your sin. Not to somebody else's sin, but to your sin. 
Jesus died once for all sin. Right, church? The once for all sacrifice. Paid in full. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He's paid it all. Once for all sin. But you've got to apply that sacrifice, that shed blood to your sin. See, it's one thing to say Jesus died on the cross. It's quite another to say Jesus died on the cross for sin. But man, it's entirely something different to say Jesus died on the cross for my sin. You have to apply it to you. If you don't, then it doesn't matter if Jesus dies a million deaths. It won't do you a bit of good until you apply it to your sin. You have to confess your sin. Yes, that means you have to humble yourself. Yes, that means you have to recognize that it's your sin that separates you from God and that caused Jesus to go to the cross and die. Your sin. You see, Judas hung from a tree out of his own guilt. But Jesus hung on a tree for our guilt. Once. It's paid. You just have to apply it. So here we have the architect of salvation, God the Father. Then we have the applier of salvation, God the Holy Spirit. Then we have the achiever of salvation, God the Son. All right here. That links us. Our hope is a linking hope. It links us together. Here's how Peter said it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. I like what R.C. Sproul said. This, This question about evil in the world. This question about why does bad things happen to good people. So here's how R.C. Sproul answers that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once. And he volunteered. Pretty much settles it, doesn't it? See, this links us, this this incredible good news, this gospel message that Peter gets right into. Like, he's not wasting any time. He says, hey, I'm Peter, bam! God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. I mean, he doesn't waste any time. Well, you need to quit wasting time. Because I tell you, we have to quit wasting time, church. The government is never going to link us together. Do you understand this? Do you know this yet? They're not. Our opinion and preferences are not going to link us together. It's not... Education, whether you private school, public school, home school, that's not going to link us together. It never will. Never will. Whether you're for or against mask or for or against vaccination or whatever, politics, religion, whatever, that's not going to link. The only thing that links us is the Trinity, the gospel, the good news. This is, our hope is it's a linking hope. Links us together. Here's the second aspect of this hope. Ours is a, a loving hope. We have a hope that, 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 that we're to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love our neighbors, ourselves. This is our hope. The, the, the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love God, love people. It's a loving hope. 
It's an active hope. That's what that means. Love is a verb. It does something. It's not just we're sitting around, well, I hope so. I have a hope so hope. No, it's active. It's loving. It's a loving hope. Here's how how Peter helps describe this hope. The the last part of verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Man, I'm so grateful that this doesn't read, may grace and peace be subtracted from you. I'm glad it's multiplied to you. May it be multiplied. May it grow. May it increase. May it spread. May it become greater in number. That's what it means. That grace and peace comes to you, and then grace and peace goes to somebody else. It comes to you because it's heading towards someone else. Okay, grace and peace. Grace, the word grace is a requirement of salvation. You cannot be saved apart from grace. We're saved by grace through faith. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And grace is an unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. That we get what we don't deserve. I've not earned this. I've not merited this. But God gives it to me anyway because of the character of God. This is who He is. He's a gracious, merciful God. Grace. It's the requirement of salvation is grace. And then we see the result. Grace and what, church? What? Peace. This is the result of salvation. You see, before you're saved, you are in an all-out war with God. You have made opposition against Him. You have dug your heels in. And you are at war with the Almighty God. And the Prince of Peace comes along. Says, hey, my peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Stop doubting and believe. And the Prince of Peace then allows us to be at peace with God and have the peace of God. No longer are we at war with God. We're at peace with Him and we have the peace of Him through the Lord Jesus. So this is a great picture of the gospel. Grace and peace. And may it be multiplied to you. See, this doesn't stop at salvation. Grace and peace just doesn't stop. For me, it didn't stop on March 15, 1995 when I was saved. Grace and peace didn't stop right then. It continues. And to this day, it continues. And it continues to be multiplied, multiplied, and multiplied. But here's a problem. Some of us need our eyes checked. We hadn't had them checked in a while, and it shows. Because some of us look at this verse in 1 Peter 1 verse 2, the end of verse 2, and we read it, and, and for whatever reason, we think it reads, may grace and peace be muted by you. Some of us have pressed the mute button on grace and peace. You understand grace and peace, that's not optional for believers. This is our platform, grace and peace. We are to operate... From the platform of grace and peace. We're not to mute grace and peace. We need to press the unmute button on grace and peace. And extend that. Loving God and loving one another. Being merciful to one another. Being kind to one another. Putting up with one another. Forgiving one another. Spurring one another along. Stirring one another up. Grace and peace. That's where we operate. Great. Does that mean you agree with everything everybody agrees? No, it just means you operate, you choose 
to move toward people through grace, by grace and peace. But here's what we do. Now, we can expect this from the world, but not from the church. The church says, okay, I'm going I'm to abandon this platform. I'm going to go over here to this platform. And this is going to be my platform where I get to share my opinions and my preferences. Listen, when you put your faith in Christ, you forfeited all your preferences and opinions, period. They're done. Now you operate out of grace and peace. But we get on these platforms over here, whatever it is, religion, politics, mask or no mask, vaccines or no vaccine, it doesn't matter. We get on this platform and we want everybody to know our opinion and preference. That's not what you're called to, believer. You're called to operate from grace and peace. So we need to unmute grace and peace and let the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ be seen and heard through our lives and be multiplied, to be spread. From one person to the next and the next. Here's what Ravenhill said. I love what he says here. Listen to this. The church is waiting for the world to become regenerate. Let me say that again. The church is waiting for the world to become regenerate. While the world is waiting on the church to become repentant. Hey, we need to repent, church. We need to get back to grace and peace. It's It's simple. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. We have to repent. This, is, this hope is a loving. If you have this biblical hope, you have a responsibility to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbors yourself, period. You have that responsibility. See, Satan has this gift of discouragement, but the Holy Spirit has this gift of empowerment. And he empowers Peter to do something like he does in verse 3, which blows my mind. I, I can't... I, I just, I just, wow. That's all I have to say. Look, look what Peter says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Peter clears out a spot and he just throws a fit and says, Blessed be the God of our Father and, 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 and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is this so shocking? Here's why it's so shocking. Peter is writing to elect exiles. He's writing to strangers in a strange land. He's writing to people who are being persecuted. They're suffering. You know, 15 times he mentions their sufferings in 1 Peter. They're suffering. They're persecuted. They're afflicted. They don't feel like exploding in a statement of praise, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter does it anyway. How is that possible? The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's how that's possible. <laughs> One, one wrote this and said, hey, Peter could have written this in a fashion of a bored and boring college professor. He could have written verse 3 like this, or the first part of verse 3 like this. Today I'd like to lecture on four topics. God's mercy, new birth, resurrection of Jesus, and hope. Please take out your notebook and your syllabus and let's begin with point number one. I mean, he could have done that. But he didn't do that. He got beside himself, and he said, bless. He just explodes in this statement of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let, let me say it like this. We need not be surprised. In fact, don't be surprised when, when people don't believe in a Jesus that you've never told them about. That's not on them. That's on you. Don't, don't, 
Don't be surprised when people don't believe in a Jesus that you have never bragged about, that you've never gotten excited about, that you've never gotten beside yourself about, that you've never cleared out a spot and thrown a, a fit about. Don't be surprised when they don't believe in a Jesus that we don't get just explode in a statement of praise about. Peter can't help himself. Blessed be the God of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, just a statement of untainted praise, authentic worship exploding from the heart and the lips of Peter. See, here's what we need to stop. We need to stop living like we're the king, and we need to start living like we're an ambassador of the king. You are not Lord. You are not Lord. You're called to love the Lord. Jesus is Lord, and you're called to love Him. So you see, our hope, it's, it's a loving hope. We're to love one another, and we're to love the Lord. That, that's our calling. So here, here's what you have to ask yourself. Is that enough? I mean, is that enough? Is Jesus really enough? I mean, if, if, if being in the family of God is all you have, is that enough? You know, Paul writes about one named Damas who loved the world, walked away from him and the church because he loved the world. So that's the question. Is Jesus enough? Or do you, do, you, do you have to have the world too? Or is Jesus enough? Is he enough? On this Easter 2021, is he enough? See, ours is a, is, is a linking hope, but it's also a loving hope. N- number three, ours is a living hope. Somebody say living hope. Yeah, living hope. You know what that means? Our hope is alive, right? <laughs> it's alive. It's It's, it's living. You know, some doctors have recently estimated that each piece of bacon a person eats takes nine minutes off your life. Anybody have any bacon today on the grill? So if I do that, let's see, let, let, me, let me do this. Let me get my calculator up. So if I do these calculations, and it's nine minutes for every piece of bacon takes nine minutes off your life, then I should have died. <laughs> I should have died in the year 1871. That's when I should have died. So, hey, bacon can kill the body, apparently, right? Bacon can kill the body, but it can't kill the soul. Okay, so our hope is so alive and living that bacon can't even stop it. I mean, this is a living, breathing hope. And, and here's how we know this. Notice what Peter does. Again, we see the word according in verse 3. According to his abundant mercy. Not a little bit of mercy. Great mercy. Large mercy. Mega mercy. Much mercy. Right? Great mercy. And according to that great mercy. In other words, that means according to an abundance of God not giving me what I deserve. Because that's what mercy is. God doesn't give you what you deserve. You deserve judgment. He doesn't give it to you. He's merciful. And so in abundance of that, look what happens. According to this abundant mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Wow. He has caused, again, this is about salvation. The new convert, or the converts that have, that have occurred from the explosion of the church. So he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. So in order for you to have this living hope, 
You have to be born again. If you're not born again, you're never going to have the living hope. They're tied together. Born again to a living hope. See, when you're born in this world, just physically born, you're not born to a living hope. I got news for you. There is no living hope outside of Christ. Zero hope outside of Christ. When you're born physically, you're not born into a living hope. You're born into dying hopes, plural. Dying hopes. That lottery ticket is a dying hope. I promise you. Even if you win it, it's not going to help you. It's a dying hope. So when we're born physically, we're born in all kinds of dying hopes. But when we're born again, we're born again into a living hope. Huge difference. So let me ask you, how do you know that you were born physically? Okay. Well, I have a birth certificate. Okay. I have um, a picture of when I was you know, when I was born, they took a picture, okay? I have a little piece of paper at home with my baby footprint on it, okay? I've got, you know, an affidavit signed, seven people were there and saw, witnessed the birth, okay? Now, all of those can be faked, right? Every one of those can be manufactured and faked. So how do you know you were born physically? Well, the best piece of evidence is you're alive. Your living body is proof that you were born, right? So, so how do I know if I was born again? How do I know if I've been born again? Well, I, I was baptized, okay. I joined the church, okay. I walked an aisle, yeah, I prayed a prayer, yeah, I threw a log on the fire at camp, okay. Um, I stood up, raised my hand, okay. All that can be manufactured, all that can be faked, right? So how do you know if you're born again? Well, the same way you'll know if you're born. Your life should prove that. Your spiritual life is proof of the fact that you've been born again. You have a living hope. You don't have a dying hope. You don't have a hope so hope. You, you don't have a hoping without any hope hope. You have a living hope. You don't have a wishful thinking pie in the sky hope. You have a living hope. Why is the hope living? Let me tell you why it's living. Because Jesus killed death. He put death to death. His death put death to death. So he's alive forevermore. That's why it's a living hope. Because Jesus is interceding right now at the right hand of God for all those who have trusted in him. Ours is a living hope. You see, years ago, the world tried to, at that very first, you know, last Easter, we were on lockdown quarantine. That very first Easter, they tried to lock down. They tried to make sure nobody got into that tomb, nobody got out of that tomb. The Roman soldiers sealed it up the best they knew how. And they locked it down the best they knew how. But just like Jesus borrowed a manger, he borrowed a, a donkey, he borrowed a, a, a room. He also borrowed that tomb because he only needed a few days and he came out of there alive. And he's alive today. It's a living hope. Our hope is it links us together. It's a loving hope. It's a living hope. Lastly, last one. Lastly, ours is a lasting hope. Amen, church? It's a lasting hope. Look, look at this last piece of the verse says it like this, that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection from the dead. Raised up from the dead. Not from the dead to die again, but from the dead. To never die again. Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. Why? Jesus, was he the first one to ever die? No. Was he the first one to ever die to be raised to life? No. Lazarus died and was raised to life. So why is Jesus the firstborn of the dead? He's the first one to die, be raised to life, to never die again. Never die again. 
It's a lasting hope. You ever subscribe to one of those online subscription and then you can't for the life of you figure out how to unsubscribe? You just can't. It's impossible to unsubscribe. Well, our hope lasts longer than any subscription you can't unsubscribe from. G.B. Hardy said it like this. When I looked at religion, I said, I've got two questions about religion. Here's a scientist. A scientist asking a question about religion. He said, I've got two questions about religion. Number one, has anyone ever conquered death? Second question, if indeed they have, have they made a way for me to conquer death too? So I looked at the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. I looked at the tomb of Confucius, it was occupied. I looked at the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. And then I came to the tomb of Jesus. And I looked, and what? Empty? There is one who conquered death. Now my second question, as he made a way for me to conquer death also. And then I opened the Bible and I read what he said. Because I live, you shall live also. He's alive, church. Our hope rests in Jesus resurrected. That's where our hope rests. And so today we want that hope to be your hope. That's what we want. So I want to encourage you to text the word hope to 79969 if you say, hey, I want that hope. If that's your heartbeat today, we want you to have that same biblical, confident assurance, that hope. So we want you to text HOPE to 79969. You say, well, I'm ready right now to receive this hope. Well, this is what we're going to do all over this place and at home. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to whisper a simple prayer between you and the Lord, something like this. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin has separated me from God. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. You see, here's the beauty of Easter. There's going to be millions upon millions upon millions of people that are going to be saved today all over the world. Why? Because the focus of today is the resurrection of Jesus. He has been raised to life. And the Bible says the way that you are born again to a living hope is that you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Belief in the resurrection is essential to be saved. Essential. And today millions are going to be saved all over the world. Because the resurrection is the feature of today's from church after church after church. So do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? If so, if you believe that in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you can be saved right now. And I want to lead you in that prayer. So again, pray like this. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I invite him in my life to be my personal Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Look up in here. If you prayed that prayer, believe it in your heart, we believe right now you got born again. And so we want to help you. We want to help you in your next step. So you need to help us know that you're ready to take that next step and text the word hope. If you're in the room or not in the room, text it now. We've got people ready to talk to you right now. Text the word hope to 79969. Now church, at 1 o'clock today, in 59 minutes, we have a premiere launch. At 1 p.m., uh, Point Church Online is going to launch. The service has been pre-recorded. Nothing's happening over there at 1 o'clock today. It's already done. It's just going out online at 1 o'clock. So I need you to do two things. I need you to check it out, and I need you to share it. Check it out and share it with everybody 
on social media that you know and you're able to share it with. See, church, this is why. We want to get Easter to every home. So help us do that today at 1 o'clock. Get the word out there. Get Easter to every home. Why? Because our hope rests in Jesus resurrected. See, our hope rests in the fact that Jesus is alive. Our hope begins in the fact that Jesus, his death was not the end. Our, our, our hope catapults out of the fact that Jesus came out of that catacomb. Our hope is founded in the fact that Jesus is missing from the mausoleum. They can't find him. He moved out of that mortuary and that morgue. He moved out of Marble Town. Jesus is alive, and our hope lies in the fact that he lives. Our hope rests in the resurrected Jesus. It rests in the fact that Jesus is alive. Our hope arises in the fact that Jesus is risen. Our hope ripens in the fact that Jesus was raised up. Our hope soars in the fact that Jesus arose. Our hope is tied to the fact that Jesus doesn't throw stones. He rolls them. That stone has been rolled away. And Jesus has come out of that tomb. 